No other book has so profoundly impacted so many lives as the Bible. Welcome to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. Today we see where Job's friend Zophar speaks a second time, ignoring Job's pleas for pity. Instead, he rebukes Job by parading before him the terrors against the wicked. We hope you'll join us as Pastor Daryl continues in Job chapter 20 on Simply the Bible. Job's friends had been laying it on thick, accusing him of sinning against God and trying to cover it up. This prompted Job to say, how dare you go on persecuting me, saying it's his own fault. You should fear punishment yourselves, for your attitude deserves punishment. Then you will know that there is indeed a judgment. Now, evidently, Job's friend Zophar didn't like what Job said because he was fired up when he spoke again to Job. We pick it up today in Job chapter 20. Then Zophar the Naamathite answered and said, Therefore, my anxious thoughts make me answer. Because of the turmoil within me, I have heard the rebuke that reproaches me, and the spirit of my understanding causes me to answer. Now, what provokes us to speak? We are endowed by our Creator with the ability to communicate with words. Jesus said that it is from the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. Sometimes we hear something that provokes us to anger. Other times our hearts are filled with love and we must find a way to express that. But we have all gotten ourselves into trouble when our lips have moved quicker than our mind was thinking. That's when we say things we later regret. Zophar's heart was agitated and he was about to let Job have it. In effect, Job told his three friends that they shouldn't be so quick to judge him for the same thing that happened to him could happen to them. Rather than taking that to heart, Zophar took offense and decided to pour his hostility on Job full strength. I try to avoid such a spirit of wrath as the motivating factor when I speak to people. I have often regretted the words released under such an influence. I think of what Jesus said to James and John, whom he named the Sons of Thunder, when they wanted to call down fire from heaven to consume the Samaritans. You do not know what manner of spirit you are. How much better it is for us to let the peace of Christ rule our hearts and guide our speech. Now, in his first speech to Job, Zophar concluded with the words, The eyes of the wicked will fail, and they shall not escape, and their hope loss of life. That's just the kind of thing you want to say to a man who's lost everything and is now on his dying breath, right? Well, Zophar picks up where he left off. Do you not know this of old, since man was placed on earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short and the joy of the hypocrite is but for a moment? What is Job left to infer from these words, except that he is wicked and a hypocrite, whose life God is cutting short. I can't even imagine saying this to someone who's on his deathbed unless I knew that he had lived a wicked life. And even then, I would be pointing to the redemption and forgiveness available to those who will repent and trust in God, but so far knew nothing of grace. 
Though his haughtiness mounts up to the heavens and his head reaches to the clouds, yet he will perish forever like his own refuse. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? Now, the challenge for us in interpreting the book of Job is that many of the things that Job's three friends say are true, but their timing and application were completely off. Their timing was off because God does not immediately judge the wicked. He is slow to anger, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And their application was off because the word of God is always conviction to the sinner and comfort to the saint. They were treating Job like a wicked sinner when, in fact, he was a blameless saint. Nevertheless, there is truth to what Zophar says about the destiny of the wicked. Now, we watch to what heights the godless grow. They are rich and famous. They seem to have the world by the tail. They have a head as big as Texas, but they will perish forever like their own refuse. What Zophar is saying is that they will suddenly go away like the stuff they flush down the toilet. And everybody will say, whatever happened to so-and-so? He will fly away like a dream and not be found. Yes, he will be chased away like a vision of the night. The eye that saw him will see him no more, nor will his place behold him anymore. Now, a dream is a funny thing. I mean, where does it come from? What causes it? Is it the jalapenos on the pizza? What is it? And where does it go? And in a moment, in the moment you're dreaming it, it seems so real, but then it's gone. So it is with the wicked. In the moment, they seem so real, so imposing, but then the morning comes and they gone. His children will seek the favor of the poor and his hands will restore his wealth. His bones are full of his youthful vigor, but it will lie down with him in the dust. And so the children of the wicked ultimately having to beg for their substance and even the wicked himself will have to restore the wealth he's taken wrongfully. And though his bones may be full of youthful vigor, you know, he's a young person, really, still a lot of life yet to live, but he will suddenly lie down in the dust. Though evil is sweet in his mouth and he hides it under his tongue, though he spares it and does not forsake it, but still keeps it in his mouth. And so he's relishing the sweet taste of sin. And the Bible does say that there is pleasure in sin for a season. He's relishing it. He's hiding it under his tongue. He's keeping it in his mouth like he's savoring it. Yet his food in his stomach turns sour. It becomes cobra venom within him. He swallows down riches and vomits them up again. God casts them out of his belly. He will suck the poison of cobras. The viper's tongue will slay him. Ugh, that sounds hideous. But that's the way it is with sin. You know, it seems sweet at the time, but later it turns sour and bitter in your stomach. And I just think of people that, you know, they've sold out everything, their family, their ministry, for what? For a, a, a moment of lust. And, and in the end, you know, the bitter pill that they must swallow as a result. That's the way sin is. Just becomes bitter in the belly. Tastes good in the mouth, but bitter in the belly. 
He will not see the streams. The river is flowing with honey and cream. He will restore that for which he labored and will not swallow it down. From the proceeds of business, he will get no enjoyment. You know, there are streams of blessing, rivers flowing with honey and cream. You know, God said, I'm going to take you to the promised land where there's milk and honey. These things speak of just the wonderful, natural blessings that God gives to the godly. And he gives us the capacity to enjoy that which he has given to us, but not for the wicked. They're never content and they can't even enjoy what they have and they're, they never have enough. And so they get no enjoyment from the proceeds of their business. For he has oppressed and forsaken the poor. He has violently seized a house which he did not build. And so in the process of getting rich, he has oppressed the poor I think of these landlords right now who are just, you know, evicting their tenants because they're a week late on their rent with the coronavirus and they're out of work, you know, just just unkind, unmerciful. And so he has forsaken the poor and violently seized a house he did not build. Uh, we need to remember the poor. That's what Paul said when he and Barnabas went uh, among the, the leaders in Jerusalem Peter, James, and John, and and shared the gospel that they had been preaching to the Gentiles, and uh, these pillars of the church, uh, Peter, James, and John said, we just want you to remember the poor, and Paul said, that was the very thing that I was eager to do. So just remembering the poor, but this wicked person didn't. He oppressed and he forsook the poor. Because he knows no quietness in his heart, he will not save anything he desires. Nothing is left for him to eat. Therefore, his well-being will not last. In his self-sufficiency, he will be in distress. Every hand of misery will come against him. When he is about to fill his stomach, God will cast on him the fury of his wrath and will rain it on him while he is eating. And so he doesn't know any quietness of his heart. You know, when you have the peace of God, there is contentment and you're satisfied with what you have. You don't need to keep getting more. But this guy is not satisfied, so he consumes everything that he has. There is this, this conspicuous consumption of having to have more and more and yet still not being satisfied. But suddenly it'll all go away. In a moment of distress, misery will come against him. Even while he's trying to fill his stomach, the wrath and fury of God will come upon him while he is eating. He will flee from the iron weapon. A bronze bow will pierce him through. It is drawn and comes out of the belly. Yes, the glittering point comes out of his gall. So it's just piercing his liver, his gallbladder, coming out the other side, very gruesome. Terrors come upon him. Just a, a very graphic visual image of the destruction of the wicked. Total darkness is reserved for his treasures. An unfanned fire will consume them. It shall go ill with him who is left in his tent. You know, that's the thing about the things that we lay up in this life. It's all ultimately going to burn. And an unfanned fire will consume the treasures, you know, that we've set aside. And here it says it will consume him. So it's really speaking of hell. And uh, it, shall go, it shall go ill with him who is left in his tent. 
The heavens will reveal his iniquity and the earth will rise up against him. Speaking of the judgment, everything's going to be laid bare before God, the one to whom we will give an account. And even Jesus talked about Sodom and Gomorrah rising up in the judgment against the people of his generation because they would not repent at his preaching. And, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah suffered fire and brimstone from God. But if Jesus had been there, that Jesus was saying, look, they would have repented. So this all speaks of the judgment that the wicked will face. The increase of his house will depart and his goods will flow away in the day of his wrath. This is the portion from God for a wicked man, the heritage appointed to him by God. So Zophar was right in his ultimate assessment of the wicked, but he was wrong in assuming that God judges the wicked right away. And he was certainly wrong in concluding that because Job was suffering, he was wicked. He was also wrong in giving a dissertation on the fate of the wicked to a suffering broken man who was on his deathbed. Job needed to be comforted and not accused. We know that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But we might wonder why these long dissertations against poor Job are included in scripture. Well, could it be that we all have the pharisaic tendency to point out the faults in others without really taking the time to understand them, to putting ourselves in their place. We are all prone to be like Job's friends in many ways, and perhaps that is why the Holy Spirit recorded these long speeches. Some of the things Job's friends said were good, but their timing and application was off. Speaking the truth in love should be our goal. May God help us to bring comfort to others as he comforts them, for he is the one who binds up the brokenhearted. You've been listening to Simply the Bible, the Through the Bible teaching program of Pastor Daryl Zachman of Calvary Chapel, Treasure Valley. For more information about our church, please visit our website at calvarytv.org. To listen to other episodes, go to 941thevoice.com or check out our iTunes podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us through our website. Tomorrow, we'll see where Job asks his friends to bear with him because of his hardships. He points out how the wicked prosper in this life and calls for God's judgment against them. We hope you'll join us as we continue in the book of Job on Simply the Bible. Simply the Bible